All right, well, good to see everybody again. Welcome to those of you joining us online. So for this past month or so, Paul has been showing us what it means to imitate God. To imitate God. When you think about that, that is for sure our highest calling. And he describes it very succinctly with these words, we're to walk in love. But that's a little complicated, so we've got to kind of unpack that. But it basically means we can't be riding dirty. We've been learning about that. Posing as Christians, but still engaging in things like sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry, filthiness, crude joking, or foolish talk. Those are the examples that Paul gave us. In other words, living with unrepentant sin, as though we're still on that wide, dark path that leads to eternal destruction because there are consequences. And Paul described two of them for us. First, there's no inheritance in God's kingdom. And second, there's God's wrath that comes upon the sons of disobedience. So these are sobering consequences that hopefully have caused all of us to take stock of our lives and our position with regard to this. If you missed any of this, strongly encourage you to go to our website, check out those sermons. They're basically they unfolded over the, the month of August, so you can just kind of focus on those. And then next, Paul launches into three warnings in the negative. Three things that we must not do. Do not become partners with those sons of disobedience. Do not be foolish and do not get drunk with wine. Now, these sound like a whole bunch of negatives, do nots, do nots, they certainly are. But in it all, we're gonna see a whole bunch of positive, we're gonna see a whole bunch of how we're supposed to live. These are just the contrast that Paul sets up for us. So we're gonna cover the first one today. Do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. So Paul writes, Therefore, do not become partners with them. In light of the fact that the sons of disobedience are not going to God's kingdom, in light of the fact that they're going to experience God's wrath in the lake of fire for all eternity, in light of all that, don't become partners with them because you're headed in a completely different direction. You've been born again. You've been set apart. You're on that narrow path. Your focus is now progressing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus each day as you imitate God by walking in love. So Paul says, don't become a partner with those sons of disobedience. And in the original language, don't become a partner means don't become a partaker or a participant of that nasty stuff. Now we have to be a little careful here because this does not mean withdraw completely from the world. Too many Christians try to do that. They just like separate themselves from the world. But we must, must still do that. We still have to go to the grocery store, right? We still have to go to work. We've got to go to school. All those things where we live. But we must not participate in the illicit activities of the sons of disobedience because these things don't glorify God. And glorifying God alone, as you see up there on that mantle above me, it's our focus now that we're born again. So Paul doesn't say, avoid these people. He doesn't say, sit in judgment on these people. No, he just says, don't participate in the stuff that they do. But as we know, whenever we don't go along with the crowd, something happens. 
we stand out. And some of us don't like to stand out, but that's exactly what Paul wants us to do. He wants us to stand out, to be a light in the darkness. Because next he writes, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So there's a lot going on in this short little statement here. We must consider both the changes in time and the verb tense. First, let's look at time. Something has clearly happened to us over time here. Because at one time, we were darkness, but now we are light. So something's changed. And that something is that we've been born again into a new life in Christ. We've been justified, set apart, washed clean in Christ's blood. So we were once sons of disobedience, but we're not anymore because Jesus bore the wrath of our sin. Now we're a beloved child of God. That means we have the Holy Spirit in us and we're being sanctified. We're progressing in holiness as heirs of God's kingdom. So sanctification isn't something that happens to us. It's something that we partake in or we participate in. And to participate in it means we can't be participating in the other stuff. And that's because we're different now. Our objective is no longer self. It's no longer rebellion. It's God's glory alone. And this living for God's glory alone, it springs forth from a spirit of thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. We're saved. We're forgiven forever. We're going to heaven. That's the good news. Don't get any better than that. And so it's out of a sense of gratitude that we're compelled to live in holiness, to progress in holiness. It's what compels us to be obedient to God. That's what's changed in us over time. Next, we must deal with these two verbs, were and are. So at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice it doesn't say that you were exposed to the darkness. It says you were the darkness because you accepted Jesus and before you did that you were sin was so pervasive in your life you were actually darkness itself you were a part of it the same goes with what you are now you were not just exposed to the light you are light and that is because the Holy Spirit is in you we must never look past this vital component to our salvation yes Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We owe him absolutely everything. He is the light of the world. And his light is now in all those who've been born again. It's what Paul means with those words, light in the Lord. And the way Jesus makes us light is by removing the darkness or the sin in us by his work on the cross. And then by putting the Holy Spirit of God in us. It's why Paul's calling us to stand out against the darkness, because we are now light. So we must never minimize the role of the Holy Spirit in it all. We must not grieve him or quench him. And that's why we can't be partners with the sons of disobedience. We can't participate in that nasty stuff anymore. Yes, we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. We've been born again. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us. We must live accordingly 
as light. And that's why Paul exhorts us here to now walk as children of light. And as always, he qualifies what he means by adding in parentheses, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So, as we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, being made more holy, we are also to walk as children of light. And what does that look like? Fruit. It looks like fruit. Recall from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that you will know a tree by its fruit. And I personally love Paul's reference to fruit. It's such a helpful illustration for so many reasons. First, for a tree to produce fruit, it's dependent upon God's provision, nutrients, light, water. That's exactly how we must view our walk with the Lord. We are dependent upon his provision. Second, the process for a tree to produce fruit unfolds across seasons. There's a season for planting, a season for growing, a season for harvesting, and then it repeats year in and year out. Similarly, our walk as Christians unfolds across many different seasons over the entirety of our lives. Third, fruit quality and abundance is impacted by external factors such as weather, disease, and pruning. Likewise, our everyday ordinary lives are impacted by so many external factors. Our lives are impacted by the weather, disease, and even by God's pruning. Fourth, the fruit always matches the kind of tree that it comes from. An apple tree only produces apples. It cannot produce oranges. So if you're a son of disobedience, you can't produce light. You can only produce darkness. Likewise, if you're a beloved child of God, you can no longer produce darkness, only light. Key principles here. So if you're a child of light, you will bear the fruit of light. And what does that look like? Well, we don't have to guess because as always, Paul tells us, fruit that is good, right, and true. As you walk or as you live as children of light, that is the specific kind of fruit that you will produce. So let's ask ourselves this question. Do we produce this kind of fruit in our life? Benevolence, kindness to others, purity, living in ways that are acceptable to God, living according to God's design, which was for his children to be in a relationship with him. Are we in a relationship with him? It's his design for us to be holy because he is holy, walking in love as children of light, living in obedience to him. That's what it means to bear the fruit of light, all that is good, right, and true. Do we bear that fruit? Well, to help us answer this question, Paul gives us three specific areas where we should find this fruit. He writes, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So first, let's not miss, Paul makes it clear, these are all things we must participate in by using these words, try to, take no part in, speak of. These are all actions we must take. Because again, sanctification is not a spectator sport. And Paul shows us here that we must actively participate 
with our inner being, our works, and our words. So let's take these in turn. First, with our inner being. As we try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, how do we do this? How do we recognize what is pleasing to Him? Well, remember, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit of God to dwell within us, in our inner being, so that He could convict, counsel, and comfort us to know what is pleasing to the Lord. And how does He do that? He does it with His sword, which is the Word of God, the Bible. The same Holy Spirit who indwells all those who place their faith in Jesus and been born again is also the one who wrote these words. He's the one who inspired the words of Scripture. So if we're hearing from the Holy Spirit, it will always be in step with Scripture. And so often, it will come directly from it. Because Scripture is truth. And so it contains all that pleases God, who is the very author of truth. That's why we must live with our Bibles open. We must know them. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. As the adage goes, Scripture is often lifeless without the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is often silent without Scripture. And I don't know who said that, but it's so true, isn't it? It's certainly been my experience in life. The Scripture and the Holy Spirit, they go hand in hand. When we read the Scriptures, empowered by the Holy Spirit, those words, they just come alive. They just spring forth from the Scripture. It literally jumps off the pages at us. We don't find them irrelevant, boring, or a waste of our time. No, they convict, they counsel, they comfort. They guide us to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. But we miss out on it if we don't read and know our Bibles. And if we aren't walking with the Holy Spirit because maybe we're grieving Him by engaging in unrepentant sin, or maybe we're quenching Him by ignoring the fact that He resides within us. Second, we must take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now this is really the point that Paul's been making since we moved into the second half of this letter. From the minute we shifted from belief to behavior. He's been teaching us that we need to put off the old self, and that requires action or work. It's why we can't just profess Christianity and then continue to live the old way. Because if we've truly been born again, if we've truly placed our faith or our belief in Jesus, our behavior must change. Remember that critical link between belief and behavior. People profess all sorts of belief in their life, but if you really want to know what they believe, just look at their behavior. It reveals the truth. Or in the context Paul uses here, you can tell what they believe by their fruit. And that's why Paul instructs that we must take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Did you catch that? Unfruitful work. I love how Paul keeps pushing on this issue of fruit. Because all work done in darkness is unfruitful. But work done in the light of Christ bears the fruit of light the stuff that is found, and all that is good, right, and true. And that's why Paul doesn't teach us to avoid unbelievers, to stay away from them at all costs. Rather, he teaches that we are to walk as children of light amidst the darkness, so that we can bring light into the darkness, so that we can stand out against it, exposing it for what it is. Not condemning, not sitting in judgment, but reflecting the light of Christ 
into the darkness. And that, of course, is what this pillar training is all about. It's training that we all need to help us walk as children of light. Third, Paul reminds us yet again that we must watch our words, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Now, this may seem like a bit of a broken record, but we can't be reminded enough about our tongues. What a fire they set ablaze when we become careless with our words. As we learned, our words can so easily cause our brothers and our sisters to stumble. And even though we don't actually engage in the unfruitful work, we still, we still can call them out and actually cause it to bring to people's light simply because we speak of it. And we can actually end up taking on the same shame as if we carried it on ourselves. So we must not give unfruitful works a voice. Rather, we're simply to be light in the darkness. And then Paul concludes by contrasting dark and light in what appears to be a direct reference to our baptism as he writes, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So how do we know this is in the context of baptism? That may not jump right off the page at you. Well, it isn't obvious, and biblical scholars debate this. They're not quite sure what to do with this quote because you can't find the quote anywhere in Scripture. So most suggest that it was likely part of a hymn that may have been sung at baptisms in Ephesus. It was clearly familiar and recognizable to the Ephesians based on the way that Paul references it. But regardless of where it actually came from, it depicts what happens when Christ shines his light on someone who is spiritually asleep. Now, if it happens to be someone who's on the wide, dark path, someone who has not yet been born again, then that person will awaken from his or her sleep. Why? Because they've been exposed to the light. And when they respond to the light and place their faith in Jesus, they will be born again into a new life in Christ. That's such a big thing, right? And that, of course, is what the sacrament of baptism represents, the new birth in Christ, where they receive the Holy Spirit and they begin to progress down that narrow path and they, too, become light. Now, for those who are a child of God, but they aren't progressing, because maybe they're taking a spiritual nap of sorts, meaning they're born again, but they're grieving the Holy Spirit because they're participating in unrepentant sin. Well, when Christ shines his light on them, they too will awaken from their drowsiness. They'll be convicted of their sinful way through the light of Scripture applied by the indwelling Holy Spirit as he reminds them of their own baptism, the moment they were justified, the moment they were made right before God. It's what started them down to the path of holiness in the first place. But for some reason, they lost their way. They began to participate in the things of that wide, dark path again. They stopped progressing. So the Lord disciplined them, as we learned, to remind them of his light so that they might begin to progress in holiness once again. Scripture promises that the Lord will never lose one of his beloved children. And so he disciplines them to keep them moving toward that narrow path so that they do not become partners with those sons of disobedience. Now, I know for many of us, 
This entire letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, it's caused us to consider this topic of salvation at great length. But here's the thing. That's exactly what Paul wants us to do when we read it. It's why he wrote this letter. He wants us to know the truth about what it looks like to imitate God by walking in love. So if we're not walking in love, if we're not progressing in holiness, the Apostle Paul wants us to consider these very important questions. Are we born again, but grieving the Holy Spirit of God by our sin, or have we actually never been born again? But of course, here's the thing. Regardless of how you might answer that question, particularly if you find yourself not progressing in holiness, the response is always the same. Repent. 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 So you might awake from your slumber and rise from the dead. Repentance is the key to absolutely everything. It's what happened when we first placed our faith in Jesus. And it's what we do day by day as we progress down that path to holiness. Now, even if we happen to already be walking with the Holy Spirit, because some of you are probably thinking to yourself, but wait a second, I'm not doing that stuff. I'm actually walking with the Holy Spirit. But even still, these words should cause us all to take heed, lest we turn back to that wide, dark path, but especially in spiritual pride or self-righteousness, because we start to look at the evidence of our good behavior, all that fruit in our life, the stuff that's true, the stuff that's right. And we start to see that now as the reason for our salvation. And that is a very, very dangerous thing for any of us to do. So let me close by being very clear about this last point. Paul's words can offer a tremendous amount of assurance as he describes what life looks like for the born-agains. And if your life resembles that, praise God for his sanctifying work in you. Keep walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, but always go back in humility to the truth of what you celebrated at your baptism, that it is Christ and it is his blood alone that secures your salvation, which he also then seals to make sure you don't screw it up by giving you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. We always must go back to that. And so our salvation has nothing to do with how far we progress down that path to holiness. Rather, it's the evidence of all that Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. And that is what we have to be grateful for. And that is why we must respond by walking as children of light. 